Have your Bible with you today. We're going to start where we ought to in the beginning. Go with me over to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. I've entitled this today, The Roadmap to Bethlehem. Years ago, my wife and I were on vacation in the Orlando area. And now, listen, I thank the Lord today for Google Maps or even Apple Maps or whichever device you use or whatever you use in that regard. Maybe you're still using paper. That's okay. Just don't be looking at it while you're driving. I do well just listening to somebody tell me which way to drive, as long as it's not a backseat driver or something like that. But I can remember one year we were there and we decided one night, well, we're going to go out to dinner and this is the certain place we're going to go out to eat. And so I said, okay. So I don't remember if it was Google Maps or Apple Maps. I don't remember which one. But I kind of knew where the restaurant was, but I just figured I'll just see. I'll just let them take us there. So anyways, I let the, the phone take us to what was supposed to be the location. And so please turn here. Please turn at this light. Take a left. Go down to this street. Please take a left. You know, I'm just following. Okay, yes, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll, I'll go where you want me to go. And so here we were, and I knew it wasn't right, but I thought this is going to be comical to see where we end up. And so we pulled up to the end of a road, and the road stopped. It was a dead end, and we were overlooking a lake. And it says, you've arrived at your destination. (laughs) And I'm thinking, I don't think so. I don't think so. So I told my wife, I said, you know what? I, I kind of know where the restaurant is. So we turned around and we went and I found it on my own where we were supposed to go. The point though is this, folks. Even the best technology makes mistakes today, okay? Don't have too much faith in your technology. Now, let me say this. Google Maps and, and Apple Maps, they've all improved greatly since those days and I'm grateful for that. And chances are they'll get better at tracking us. I mean, us showing us how to get someplace. <laughs> but anyways, and you know what I'm saying there. What about the Bible? If you follow the road through scripture, one of the places it brings you is to Bethlehem. Now, we're not covering the other aspects of the trip today, but you're going to go to Bethlehem, and from Bethlehem, you're going to make your way to Calvary, then right around the corner to the garden tomb, and then one day to heaven itself. Okay, that's the ultimate trip, isn't it? And if you've trusted Christ as Savior, you're going. But you know, the Bible, getting back to the Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to begin today. The Bible is a love story. It really is what it is. It is the record of God promising a Savior soon after mankind sins and death comes upon all mankind and death comes upon all creation. This love story, it shows the heart of God that he promises us a Savior. You see, God is a God of reconciliation. God is always wanting to bring man back into fellowship with himself. But he he can't just haphazardly do that. Something has to be done to where man can be reconciled back to God. Now, now that is the key, by the way, man being reconciled back to God. God didn't do anything wrong. It's man who left who needs to come back to be reconciled with God. But God is willing for that reconciliation to take place. So what about this roadmap to Bethlehem? Well, it's really, that's the Christmas story. Today, we're going to trace that roadmap 
all the way to Bethlehem. And this we will see in this roadmap, the Christmas story. Not only will we see it, but we'll be amazed by where God is going to take us to get there. Why do I believe the Word of God? Why am I a Bible-believing Christian? Why is this book the most important book in my life and the life of this church and hopefully in your life as well? Folks, this is not like Aesop's fables or the Quran or something like that. This is the Word of God. It has no mistakes. It is right. It's always been right, and it will always be right. Christmas. What is it? Well, the word Christmas is actually made up of two words, and you can easily see it, Christ, and the other one is mass or mas. Christ, the word Christ means the anointed one. It's talking about the Messiah, the promised Messiah who would come. Now, the Bible, as that unfolds, we know that happens to be Jesus Christ, as we will see. So Christ is the anointed one, referring to the Messiah. The word mass or mass, it simply means, basically, it means a celebration. So we are celebrating Christ. We're celebrating the coming of Christ. Christmas, Christmas, okay, is what it is. Christmas is the celebration of the coming of the Messiah. He would be the one to come to be our Savior our payment for sin. Now, people down through the ages, they've wondered, okay, who exactly is this person? Is there a way to identify him? Let me say this, folks, as we go through the chances of these things coming about the way they did is as close to impossible as you can get. And yet God did the impossible when he sent us a savior. And not only that, but he made it very clear, if you're wondering on how you're going to identify this one, this promised Messiah, God has given us his identification as we trace him through the scriptures, the roadmap to Bethlehem. There's some stops along the way, just like if you get in your car and you go on a trip, you're going to make a few stops along the way. Yes, we're going to stop along the way to Bethlehem, but only to show how accurate and how powerful and how true the Word of God is. Now, contrary to what many people think, Jesus Christ did not just happen to show up when he did. All of a sudden, oh, there he is. No, it was all planned. It was all orchestrated by the plan of God. God has provided a biblical roadmap that takes us from Genesis to Bethlehem, stopping along the way to glean blessings from the word of God. And I mean that because as you look at these and you study these and you ponder these, you will be blessed to see these things in scripture. So we're gonna go through them, okay? We've got 10 points today. Don't be discouraged by the number of points. This is not a three-point sermonette for Christianettes. But at the same time, we will be moving quickly because we're not on the interstate, but we are on a road that safely and securely gets us to our destination. So the first is this. Who is he? Who is this promised Messiah that we celebrate on Christmas? Well, number one, he is the seed of the woman promised in Genesis chapter 3. He is the seed of the woman promised in Genesis chapter 3. You see, Genesis chapter 3 records the fall of man. 
And not only the fall of man, but when sin entered through Adam, death came, not only spiritual death, but death came upon all of the creation. That's why we have disease today. That's why we have sickness today. Let's say for an example, um, I know a lot of people, I'm looking today at at church and and even those who aren't here, a lot of people have experienced COVID in the last couple years. Can I tell you this? It is futile to say, well, you know what? I was doing fine. Then I got COVID from so-and-so. Let me tell you something. There would be no COVID if Adam and Eve had not sinned because death and disease came through sin. There wouldn't be any of that if it wasn't for sin entering into the world. But when man sinned, and I don't know how long it was from when Adam and Eve sinned to when God rebuked, basically, Satan and told him, listen, your days are numbered, buddy. You are defeated. I don't know the amount of time between. I believe it was close, though. I believe it was close. And so we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we see God speaking to the serpent, speaking to Satan and saying this, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Now, what does he mean between thee and the woman? The woman being, of course, Eve, but he goes on, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head. Her seed will bruise thy head. That is a mortal wound to the head. It's a mortal wound. And thou shalt bruise his heel. Yes, Satan would bruise, in a sense, the heel of Jesus, but God would deal a death blow to Satan. A death blow. The seed of the woman. And I think it's fascinating in verse 15, because, folks, what verse 15 tells us is there's going to be a battle of the ages. I will put enmity between thee and the woman. The word enmity means hostility or hatred. Hatred. Satan hates Jesus. Satan hates God. He hates Christianity. The originator of sin, pride, is the first sin. And we see that recorded in the scriptures. We won't take a detailed look at that. But that is the first sin, is pride. I will be like the Most High. And so when he is defeated, he hates God for the fact that he is a defeated foe. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ crushed him on the death and the resurrection. Through the gospel, Satan is completely defeated. So you notice, though, in verse 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, being Eve, and between thy seed and her seed. In other words, her ancestor, the one who would come. Now, in particular, her seed would be the one to bruise the head of Satan. So that isn't just all the children that Eve would have. It's a particular one that it is pointing to. And so we see he will be human, and yet he will have to be sinless to deal a death blow to Satan. Because no man who's a sinner can deal a death blow to the devil. It has to be somebody who's beyond that. And of course, that one beyond that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see the first promise of the Messiah in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This seed who would come from the woman had to be human, but it would have to be somebody who could deal a death blow to Satan. That is God himself. And that is who it would be, Genesis three, fifteen. okay? But let's move on. Number two, 
not only would he be the seed of the woman who would do this, a human, but a human who is so powerful to deal a death blow to Satan. Again, it would have to be divine. Secondly, he will come from the tribe of Judah. So we're tracing our way through the book of Genesis. Turn with me over to Genesis chapter 49. He would have to come from the tribe of Judah. Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob was married to Leah, and one of the sons to come through Leah was Judah. Through Judah's bloodline came King David, and of course, through David's bloodline came the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. So now we're starting to get a picture. We're starting to just start seeing it on the canvas of this one who is going to show up. We have gone from the Garden of Eden. Now we're moving out and we're moving forward on our road to Bethlehem. And it says in Genesis 49, verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. Very interesting. The word Shiloh means the rest giver, the one who will give rest. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. He is the rest giver. We're starting to see this. This one who is promised, we're starting to see a picture of him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. A scepter was a rod that the shepherds would use to guide the sheep. One Bible dictionary says this, and I quote, as a symbol of authority, the use of the scepter originated in the idea that the ruler was as a shepherd of his people. Jesus said, I'm the true shepherd. This is amazing. Let's move on. Look at Numbers chapter 24. Numbers 24, verse 17. It says, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob. Interesting, the S in the word star in our text is capitalized, right? There shall be a star out of Jacob. Do you remember? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, one of the sons was Judah. Jesus has come from the tribe of Judah. And, of course, out of Jacob. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. So we see again this star out of Jacob and a scepter. The one who was going to come out of Judah and be a ruler over the people. We know that ruling is going to take place through our Lord Jesus Christ, beginning at a second coming back to earth to set up his kingdom. And his kingdom shall have no end, as we are going to see. Let's move on. Number three. This is amazing. He would be the son of God. You might say, well, yeah, we see that in the New Testament. Wait a minute. Did you know we see that in the Old Testament? Look with me to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 2, or Psalm 2, which, by the way, is one of the great prophetic Old Testament passages. You usually don't think of the Psalms as prophetic, but there's much prophecy in the book of Psalms. Psalm 2. 
See, he would be the son of God. We often think that Jesus became the son of God when he was born. That is not true. This is false. He has always been the son of God. Or, to put it another way, God the son. God the son. And here in Psalm 2, it says, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. It's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. This is his kingdom rule. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Jesus is going to rule and reign during the millennial kingdom on this planet. Most lawyers will be unemployed at that point. They will not be needed. Justice will rule and reign. It will not be an issue of pleading the case of those who are guilty. It will be an issue of simply somebody meeting out the justice upon them in the government of King Jesus. But you notice it says, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Can I tell you this, folks? Now, by the way, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, approximately 1,500 years they were written before Christ came. 1,500 years, that's 1,500 years before Jesus ever shows up at Bethlehem. Do you understand how amazing that is? And these are just a few prophecies. Here in the book of Psalms, Psalms written approximately 1,000 BC, 1,000 years before Jesus came. And here we see, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. He would be the Son of God. Let's move on. Number four. This is amazing. He would be born of a virgin, which is a complete miracle. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7. Now, there's been debate over the years, okay, where it uses the word virgin here. No, it doesn't mean virgin. It means young woman. In the context, it means virgin. We know that because of the way the New Testament uses it. That is what God was getting at. Not only that, but if it doesn't mean virgin, that's not a sign. It's not a miracle because girls get pregnant all the time, okay? But what does it say in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14? Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. And it must be something, if God is giving it to us, it must be something that honors him, right? Immorality is not going to honor God. God is not going to give us a sign of immorality. He's going to give us a sign that is a miracle from his hand. And that is exactly what he did. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Watch this. And thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. As we already sang this morning, that means God with us. This one who would come will be God himself, and he will come by means of a virgin. Why did God do it that way? Because it is God with us. Now listen carefully. When Adam and Eve sinned, every child after that was born a sinner, conceived in sin. The sin nature is passed on. David even talked about it. He said, in sin did my mother conceive me. 
It isn't that that relationship is sinful. The relationship simply is this. When a baby is conceived, folks, listen, a new sinner comes into existence. That's what the Bible's telling us. Well, wait a minute. What about Jesus? Jesus couldn't be a sinner because if he was a sinner, he would be disqualified to pay for our sins. We needed a sinless substitute. So the one to come had to be somebody sinless. The only one who's sinless is God himself. And that is who came. And that is why he was virgin born. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit of God, not the product of husband and wife. And so here you have this. And who is the one who would come? How's this for labeling him? God with us. The one who would come. Yeah, I'd say that's a sign. I'd say that's a miracle. That's what the word sign means. Not only that, but let's move on. Number five. You're in Isaiah. Turn a couple pages to your right. Chapter nine. Number five. He would one day, the one who would come, would one day rule and reign over the world forever, forever. You know what? World leaders come and grow. Dictators come and go. But when King Jesus comes, that's it. There will never be another king. There will never be another world leader. Jesus, when he comes, he will rule and reign forever and ever. Tell you what, that's a reason to celebrate right there. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for unto us a child is born. Now remember, chapter 7, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to give you a miracle. A virgin is going to conceive, bear a son. You're going to call his name God with us. And then here in chapter 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. The mighty God, look at this one, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This is remarkable. These two verses are remarkable. Unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. He'll be a ruler. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. He's going to be God himself, the Everlasting Father, one with the Father, the Prince of Peace, and the increase of his government. Peace, there shall be no end. And upon the throne of David, you see, David, Jesus, related to David, related to Judah, related to Jacob. Do you get the picture? Isaac, Abraham. We see the bloodline coming through all the way back to Genesis 3, the seed of the woman who would come and defeat Satan. This is amazing. This is just absolutely amazing. Isaiah, by the way, written 600 years before Jesus ever came. Folks, these things... These are impossible to take place if God doesn't do it. But it's irrefutable. Let's move on. Go a little bit more to your right. Go to Micah. Now, Micah is one of the minor prophets 
Not minor in message, but minor in size. It's not a big book. Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. And this one is absolutely amazing. Now, Micah was somewhat of a contemporary with Isaiah. So you're talking 550, 600 BC. Very interesting. We're making our way to Bethlehem. Remember that? Here you go. At the time Jesus was born in Israel, there were two Bethlehems. One of them was Bethlehem Ephratah. That's the one that we think about today. We sing about a little town of Bethlehem. That's the one. It's about five miles south of Jerusalem. And so God is a God of precision and exactness and truth. And so he says, I'm not only going to tell you that he's going to be born in Bethlehem, I'm going to tell you which Bethlehem he's going to be born in. Just in case you're confused about it. How's that for accuracy as far as global positioning? And it says in Micah 5 two, But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. Remember, Isaiah said his government shall be, the government shall be upon his shoulders. Shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. Watch this now whose goings forth have been from old, from what? What's it say? Everlasting. By the way, a lot of your new translations don't say everlasting. They'll use something less than that. Folks, (laughs) the only one who is from everlasting is God. He's the only one. And here we have this prophecy. Not only will the one coming be God in the flesh, but he will be born in Bethlehem. And by the way, Bethlehem Ephratah, to be exact. This is an amazing prophecy. But that is exactly what we see. He would be born in Bethlehem Ephratah. Now, let's jump over the border of the Old Testament into the New Testament and go with me to Luke chapter 2. And so with all those prophecies, and by the way, there are many others, But with all those prophecies we see, this roadmap that we're following, okay, we're making a journey from Genesis, the book of Genesis, and we're making our way from Genesis 3, Genesis 49, and we're moving into Numbers, and then we're moving into the Psalms, and then we move over into Isaiah. We make a couple stops in Isaiah. Now we're on our way to Micah. We make it to Micah and say, you know what, I think I know who this is. And God says, keep reading. Keep reading. Our trip's not over. Go with me to Luke chapter 2. It says in verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus. Maybe we should read it this way. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Joe Biden that all the world should be taxed. No. (laughs) Caesar Augustus is what the text says. Now we know it was a census. That's the way they did it. Okay, it was a census, but the reason for the census was taxes. So that's why our Bible says that. And this taxing was first made by Cyrenius when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. Now you might say, well, wait a minute. Joseph was in Nazareth. Why does he have to go to Bethlehem? Now, 
Caesar Augustus made a, had an idea of, you know what, I can get some extra money. We do this and we get money and we get more taxes and all that. Okay, but let me tell you something, buddy. All you are is a tool in the hand of God to bring about his plan of the ages. God was using this very act by this political leader to fulfill prophecy at just the right time, at just the right place, according to God's roadmap. And look at it. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. That's why he had to go, because that's where you had to go, was wherever your lineage was, that's the place you went to deal with this. And so God used this to bring Joseph to exactly the place he needed to be to fulfill Micah chapter 5 in verse 2. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. You notice it was his espoused wife. They technically were not, had not gone through a marriage ceremony yet, but that was his espoused wife. Not by him, great with child but by the Holy Spirit. And so it was while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. One other thing I wanted to tell you about the city of Bethlehem, the word Bethlehem means the house of bread. Out of the house of bread came the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Is this all coincidental? No. This is all the plan of God, proving the word of God, which leads us to our seventh point. He would be God with us. He would be Emmanuel. But let me show you that in, in scripture. Look with me to Matthew chapter one. See, this should be faith building for us. This should be something that gets us excited as believers. Why do we believe what we believe? It's because it's true, that's why. Because it's miraculous, because it's the way God did it. Matthew 1 and verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus was on this wise. This is the way it happened. When his, as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily or privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, do you see it? He's of the house of David. Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, amazing, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, folks, the reason it says, for he shall save his people from their sins, is that is defining the name. God, who is our Savior. Jesus, the name, means God, our Savior. You're going to call his name Jesus, and what's he going to do? He will save his people from their sins. Now, all this was done that it might be fulfilled 
which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, which prophet? Isaiah the prophet. Where? Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So number seven, he would be God with us. By the way, he would be God with us, and what would his name be? Jesus. So then what does that tell us about the person of Jesus? He is God. He is God. Which leads us to our number eight. He would be the Savior of the world. Go back with me to Luke chapter 2. He would be the Savior of the world. Luke 2 verse 8. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord showed round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings, good news, of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Oh, wait a minute. Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. What is Christmas about? It's celebrating the coming of the Messiah. Who is he? The angel said he's Christ the Lord. We know his name is Jesus. We know he is God with us. All of these things, it's unmistakable who it's talking about. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. By the way, do you notice in verse 10? For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Listen, if God only picks certain people to be saved, it's not good news for all people. The only way it can be good news for all people is that if all people can trust in him as their Savior, that he paid for everybody's sin, not just the sin of the elect, You see, this is an amazing truth that we see in Scripture. Let's clarify it a little bit more. Go with me to John now. You're in in Luke. Go with me to John chapter 3. And this will lead us to our ninth point today. John chapter 3 and verse 16, which is what you see on a lot of Christmas cards. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave us a son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Our ninth point today is simply this, folks. With all the evidence for us to believe... With all the reason for us to put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, trust him as the one who died for us and rose from the grave in full payment for our sin. Number nine, don't be one of the unbelievers. You have no reason not to believe. No reason. How much proof do you need? There's so much proof that we've already seen today. There's every reason to believe. Believe what? Here you go. Here's what you need to believe. We're all sinners. If this hand represents you and me and my wallet, our sin, we're all sinners. We know that. We know that in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned. Death came upon all men. God says, okay, that's, 
you're separated from me now. The wages of sin is death, but I promise to send you a payment for your sin. I promise to send you the one who will be the solution. Here we are. We are sinners. Our sin separates us from God. You can't be reconciled back to God until your sins are gone. We're sinners. God says if we die with our sin, we'll be lost forever in hell. No second chances. Good works won't take away sin. Going to church won't do it. Trying to behave won't do it. Giving Christmas presents won't do it. A death payment must be made. And that's why Jesus came. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This hand representing him. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our sin upon himself and he made the complete payment so we don't have to. He did all the work. He paid for our sin. He rose from the grave. And he says, if you will believe in him that he did that for you, he will give you everlasting life. He's only asking you for one thing, that you will believe that he made that payment for your sins. When you put your faith in him, the payment is good on your behalf and he gives you everlasting life. You see the two promises there in verse 16? Whosoever believeth in him, number one, should not perish. Number two, but have everlasting life. How long is everlasting? It is forever. But you notice in verse 18, see, here's the difference between heaven and hell. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already because he is not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There's that term again, Son of God. And all he's asking us to do is believe in his name. Jesus, God who is our Savior, God with us. He would save his people from their sins. When we put our faith in Christ, friends, he saves us from our sins. He gives us eternal life. Don't be one of the unbelievers. You know, it's interesting here in this passage in John, why in the world would anybody reject Jesus Christ? Well, look at verse 19. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. God is offering eternal life as a gift. There's no reason to die in your sin. There's every reason to put your faith in Christ. That's all he's asking. He's not asking you for reformation. He's not asking you to live a perfect life. He's asking you to believe, to believe. So let me wrap this up with a few final gleanings today, which is our 10th point. The first under that is this. I think you've seen it today. God is a God of miracles. God is a God of miracles. Secondly, God keeps his promises. God made a promise in Genesis chapter 3. Guess what? He kept it. He miraculously brought a Messiah into the world. He miraculously brought God in the flesh into the world. Fully man, or let me put it this way, perfect man, fully God, who lived a perfect life, had no sin of his own to pay for, went to the cross, paid for our sins, rose from the grave victorious, and he offers us eternal life as a gift. God is a God who keeps his promises. And third, God promises to save forever those who will trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. I got one more verse for you in 1 John chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 13. 1 John 5 and verse 13. Remember the night I got saved, I saw this. It was like time stood still. 
I could not believe this was in the Bible. See, I was taught good boys go to heaven, bad boys go to hell. Try to be the best you can. Hopefully you'll make it. Well, how will you know? Well, you'll just know or hopefully you just will. No. God says you can know today that you're going to heaven. It says in 1 John 5, 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. There it is again, you believing on his name, that he is God who will save you. You're putting your faith in Jesus that he is God who will save you. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Look what it says, that you may know that you have eternal life. Is that good news or what? You can know. I can really, yep. Listen, this is God's book. God can't lie. It's a book of promises. He's given it to you in writing. You know, for me to say, for many of you to say, oh, you know what? I know absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt I'm going to heaven when I die. People hear that and you say, ooh, aren't you boastful? No, 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 no. We're not boasting in ourselves. We're boasting in the promise of God. I know I'm going to heaven, not because of what I do. It's because of what he did and what he promised. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can know you're going to heaven because God promises you're going to heaven. That's good news. That's what the angels were so excited about in Luke chapter 2. Trust Christ if you haven't done it. Would you do that? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.